This is a 980 CKNW podcast. To the Sunday Night Health Show. The show, well, it's all about sex because it's fun and health too. But remember, sex is better with better health. Okay, that's the cue to put the kids to bed. March break is over. Back to school tomorrow. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse and sexpert. Lots to uncover on this show. Spring has sprung. Allergies are in the air. We're talking exercise asthma, testicular cancer, erectile dysfunction, and the latest treatment. I have a little uh, great news for you and maybe some giveaways as well. How to reconnect after an extramarital affair. Singledom is on the rise. We're going to look at why. Mini marriages. Hello, Nicholas Cage. Energy orgasms. Do they actually make put you to sleep? Anyway, we're talking the ones that wake you up. And, uh, and lots more. Remember, the show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor for whatever ails you. Andrew, good evening. How are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm fine, thank you. You know, it's um, the, it's still March, right? Yep. I went from the air- just barely, just barely, just barely. I got it in. in I got it in, though. I went from the airport to the ocean. Had my first swim of 2019, I think. Oh, did you, did you even take a break on the way? Or did you just <laughs> no. just get off the plane and just <laughs> jump off the train? And I the- went straight there. Goodness gracious! <laughs> and then uh, no wetsuit. Okay, no suit, actually. (laughs) That's another story. Switched bags at the airport accidentally. Anyway. Oh, boy. Um, Lots to discuss tonight. And a little bit later on, you and I are going to talk about exercise asthma, something we (laughs) have both experienced. You may be a little bit more than me. But uh, right now, we are going to talk about female pelvic health. I was at a conference down in Denver, Colorado, uh, the American Society for Laser Medicine and Surgery. And on the line with me is Dr. Sherry Thomas, she is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist and certified female pelvic medicine specialist. She does a lot of research in women's health. She has also been a professor at UCLA, and she knows lots about the latest in laser treatments from her research. Good evening, Dr. Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, Mark. You there? Thank you so much for having me on the line. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining. It's, it's an honor. Um, so lots of below-the-belt issues for women that, are, that aren't often discussed, and oftentimes there's bias um, in that. But tell me, what exactly is, or the listeners, what exactly is a certified female pelvic medicine specialist? Well, that's a great question. Well, um, we have training for obstetrics and gynecology in both Canada and um, the United States, where we do four years of of training after our medical school training. So four more years. And then female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery is another three years in addition to the four years of OB-GYN. So we spend our entire life, (laughs) all those years, just training on what happens in the female pelvic floor and when we become very knowledgeable in um, sexual health and urinary incontinence, vaginal laxity, problems with orgasm, some of the things you talk about. We research and treat and spend a lot of time now you mentioned to figure out how to do it better. And now you mentioned laxity, and a lot of women will feel that looseness after they've delivered a baby vaginally, um, or it can be associated with perimenopause, or it can just be genetic. Um, so, what are you finding uh, these days in in terms of what are some of the treatments for vaginal laxity in your research? Or- That's a great question. Well, it turns out that. Um, one of the uh, research projects I've been working on is using matrix radio frequency. Uh, it's um, through a company called Perigee Medical, and 
we've been able to deliver energy in a very uniform pattern so that we can tighten the vagina, um, reduce urinary incontinence, and improve sexual function with improvement and uh, desire, arousal, orgasm, satisfaction, lubrication, all of those measures that we look at on what's called the female sexual function inventory. Fascinating, interesting, uh, wonderful new research. And it, the, the best part about it is it doesn't involve surgery. It is a simple, quick, fast treatment. Minimally invasive, and it doesn't take too much time. Does, is, it, is it about 30 minutes per, per procedure? It's about 15 minutes per procedure. Oh, wow. 15 minutes per procedure. It uses a stamping to deliver the energy, and it, uh, it's a heat and because of its sophisticated energy delivery system, it's uniformly delivered, so it doesn't have to be moved around. Uh, it's a matrix um, that delivers in a, a nice um, confined area, and then it stamps it all the way around the vagina and under the urethra where the um, urethra may need to be tightened a little from having some leakage of urine and improves probably blood flow to the area. We have some histology I presented. I I yep. don't know if you saw that. I did, I did. Yeah the, yeah, the histology was just fantastic about how it improves blood flow, thickens up the tissue a little, tightens the tissue. We have an increase in collagen and elastin, the, the, the substances that keep the tissue nice and tight. Um, it's, it's just really fascinating new research. I think it's going to be great for women. All these women for years, I've, I've had to tell them to wait until things got worse to actually do something surgically. We now have something non-surgically that works very well for their issues. Yeah, it is incredible. And, and if we could just uh, remove some of the shame around sex for women in particular, um, we, you know, it's such a taboo subject, sex and sexuality and desire and arousal and all of those words, you know, make a lot of people very uncomfortable. Um, oftentimes women feel that sex is not necessarily for them, um, but this will make sex more pleasurable for women and, and which in, in turn increases sex sexual desire and and increase their sensation or their sexual sensation. And so that will also, in turn, uh, increase sexual desire for women. Yeah, it was. Uh, yes, Maureen, absolutely. The, the interesting part is we've always thought desire for women was came from particularly just the brain that we, you know, we, we had to turn on these receptors in the brain. And what this research shows us is by improving things that bother women like vaginal laxity, leakage of urine, um, that these particular problems can then improve both desire and arousal. And that was the most fascinating part of this, this research. And so I think that women have some great new hope for the future to improve their sexual function and uh, enjoy what they should be have been enjoying for a long time after childbirth. Absolutely. And, and another that brings up another subject, which is vaginal dryness or genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which can lead to painful sex, a condition known as dyspareunia. And what are some of the latest laser treatments uh, for that? I mean, we have creams and we have rings and we have tablets that are, that are the tablets are kind of low dose and aren't really all that effective for women. And, and a lot of women don't want to take estrogen even in their vagina, even though it's low dose. But what are some of the CO2 um, fractional lasers that are available uh, for women? And can that make sex more pleasurable for women as well? Well, absolutely. So women that have dryness um, and painful uh, sexual uh, activity uh, are 
from the perimenopause or just a drop in estrogen. We see that on women on the birth controls. Birth control pills, unfortunately, get such a drop in estrogen and such dryness in the vaginal area. And what we've seen is that uh, fractional laser, so a fractional laser just um, removes very small portions of the tissue itself with little drilling little holes into the tissue. So maybe 1% or 2%, not removing the top layer. And that stimulates the tissue underneath to produce more, again, the collagen elastin, and thicken up the tissue and actually improve the blood flow and decrease the dryness, which decreases the pain. I've been working, that's another study I presented, uh, both our data on the, um, the sexual function and the histology from biopsies, showing uh, improvement in women's desire, arousal, lubrication, and, and a reduction in pain in those patients using a, a fractional laser. It's a super pulse laser. It's a really nice, um, small laser available through, again, Perigee Medical, that um, effectively treats the vagina. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and it's a very effective treatment for vaginal dryness yeah. and pain. Yeah, we I, we actually have a CO2 fractional laser in my office in North Vancouver, um, and yes, a number of women we've we, you know have chosen that option and uh, and have had great results, um, and also have had an improvement in their sex lives and have had an increase in pleasure. So it's these treatment options are a bit more available and. Uh, different clinics now, and and we're gathering more data and information and um, clinical stories because that's important as well. Um, sharing our stories, so it, it's great to know that there are there are people like you, um, professors at UCLA, dedicated to this field, dedicated to the blow of the belt issues for women, vaginal health, pelvic health, urinary tract health, uh, because that's so so important. Well, thank you very much, and and I'm I was previously at UCLA. I'm not there anymore. I'm in my private practice doing a lot of research. Right, right. Thank you so Yeah, thank you so much for um, coming and learning more and keep up the good work, Maureen, with getting the word out. uh, Well, thank you so much, Dr. Thomas. We'll get you back and we'll dive a little bit deeper. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have any questions at all, we're talking about a lot of medical issues tonight. 1-877-399-9898. You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Testicular cancer. Uh, First of all, I'd like to tell you that that the testes or the testicle is the male reproductive gland in all animals, including humans. It is homologous to the female ovary, and the functions of the testes are to produce both sperm and androgens, primarily testosterone. Testicular cancer starts in the cells of the testicle. A cancerous malignant tumor is a group of cancer cells that can grow into nearby tissue and destroy it. The tumor can also spread or metastasize into other parts of the body. The testicles are part of a man's reproductive system. Joining me in the studio right now is our very own Bobby Anderson, who has had a journey and is willing to share his journey of recent testicular cancer with all of you and me. So, Bob, Hey, Maureen, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining me and sharing this story. No problem. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's great because we empower others. So you're just back to work, really. Well, yeah, I've, uh, Two weeks. third or fourth week I'm back, but uh, I was on short-term disability after my surgery, so I was gone for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened basically is in early January... Friday night, had a shower, was just downstairs, checked the boys, felt a little lump. And it was the second time, I and I can't timeline when I first felt them, uh, when I f- sort of felt a little tiny little bump on lefty. 
And um, it was either, it was sometime, maybe November, mm-hmm. might've been six weeks, might've been four, might've been right before Christmas. But anyway, I knew I'd felt something. So anyway, basically I, I uh, checked it and I thought, you know what, I, I better go get an ultrasound or something. So I, I tried to go into the clinic just down by my house and the guy goes, can I get a rec for, <laughs> he goes, no, no, I got to look at you. And he goes, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll send you off. So that was on a Monday, Friday, Friday, I, I found it. Monday, I went to the clinic. Thursday, I got an ultrasound. Uh, the next day was Friday. I was getting um, three or four phone calls from a urologist's office. I was in the urologist's office on the following Monday. I uh, had this surgery to extract my left testicle on the Wednesday. All totaled, our, sometimes our health system works 12 days. 12 days. From times nice. of discovery. And, and they don't mess around. Like they have any inkling. Right. They're, they're going to take it out. They'll send it out and confirm that, but they don't take any chance. They didn't mess around. They got rid of it right away. Right. And so they removed it and then did a biopsy yes. after that. Yes, uh, they did that. And... Uh, it was about, and I had to wait like 10, 12 days uh, before I went back to the urologist. So that that was the most uneasy time. Uh, although I felt good. Like I, I did not experience any aching or physical pain and I hadn't l- let it grow to the size of a walnut or a tennis ball or anything. Right, because you regularly check the boys. You know Is what? That, right? I don't oh, know no. if I really did. Oh, really? Yeah, but I just, it just... Anyway, and the urologist said, wow, it's it's weird for someone your age to be in here because I'm 54. Uh, they say generally people in their teens through their 30s is what they see. So they were. he was quite surprised about how, how old wow, I was. Wow, so. I thought you were younger than that. So maybe that oh, has thanks. something to do with it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, as I'm proud to say on the show I work on, I'm the most Im- I'm oldest and most immature. So maybe that has something <laughs> to my mindset. But anyway. And you work on the shift uh, with Drex uh, yes. at, at night. Um, and so what was the treatment after that? So you waited, you had that waiting game to find out. Yeah, that, that was a little uneasy. So I, I was basically in bed for about... Um, solid for a good four weeks. Mm-hmm. Like I basically this past week, I have a son that's seven years old. He weighs about 50 pounds. I've just lifted him for the first time wow. this past week. So it's been a while. I've, I've been healing. So, right. And it uh, takes that six weeks for the tissues to heal. Oh, and that's important post-operatively. They sort of compared it to a C-section to which yes. my l- wife who had one right. scoffed at me. <laughs> How big's your scar? And I said, uh, it's seven and a half centimeters. She goes, that's three inches. So it's right. nothing. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so um, I waited. And then when I went back after that 10, 12 days and he confirmed that it indeed it was cancerous and we got it out. And then my next follow-up was a few, probably four and a half, about four, uh, three weeks later, I, I finally got to see my oncologist. So, mm-hmm. And did you require any further treatment after the surgery? Did they check for METs? Yeah, but they, uh, no, I don't, I, they, my oncologist said, listen, we got it. He said it was one of the smaller ones we had ever found before. Nice. So he said, I have seen smaller ones, but uh, looks like we got it early. Uh, no chemo, no radiation. Um, and we're just going to keep an eye on you for really hardcore for the next five years and then do a check-in after 10 years as well. Oh, that's great. And probably one of the biggest takeaways is check the boys. Oh, absolutely. La- lads, check your nads, please. Yes, absolutely. Please do that. Yeah, or dads, check your nads too. But um, um, yeah, it was, it, it was like I experienced no pain other than from surgery and that. 
Um, so it's weird. I don't know if I refer to it as in the past tense that I've had cancer, I had cancer, or because I'm still monitored, I still have it. So uh, they think they got it. They said there's a 15 to 20% chance it could come back. That's why they're monitoring me so closely. I get uh, blood tests every three months, um, CT scan twice a year for the first two years. So Okay, great. So it's a good follow-up and it's a great outcome. I feel very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Fortunate. Yeah, Fortunate. fantastic. And again, it underscores that early treatment. Detection. You know, early, early detection leads to early treatment and better health outcomes. It, it, it was just... Um, it was just amazing. And, and, you know, it was a bit of an emotional roller. The worst day, the very worst day was when the urologist's office was calling me. I just went, okay, they're, they're calling me the day after. Uh, something must be wrong here. So of, of course, I was with my son. I was trying not to lose it. And I went, okay. Then I read up a ton on it. And if you're going to get a, tis, a cancer, which is a horrible thing to say, testicular, the survival rates are very high. Yes, this is one of the ones to get. We don't want anybody to get cancer, no, of course. No, 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 no. We do want the lads and dads to check your nads yes. uh, routinely. I mean, I wouldn't think that would be a big problem for guys that are typically touching around down there. Absolutely, <laughs> especially the youngins, too. And no, I didn't get a prosthetic, but uh, younger people that maybe not have had their families can get that, that was, uh, get that as well. Exactly. All right, well... Great first. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing the story. Oh, thanks sure. for having. Thanks for being in here. And um, yeah, well, uh, I'm sure. I wish you all the best of luck, and I'm Thank sure you. you'll do grand. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have any questions at all for the nurse, the number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That's one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Uh, you can always email me in confidence, of course, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Well, we're talking about what happens after the extramarital affair. Uh, when you decide to stay with whomever cheated or went outside of the relationship. I, I would like to duly note that Nicholas Cage uh, uh, filed for an annulment four days after his fourth marriage. Anyway... Nicholas Cage was, um, he's, he's one of my favorite actors, anyhow, and, and um, anyway, I won't go into some of my favorite scenes. But anyway, uh, joining me on the line is Mark Smith. He is a uh, social worker and does a lot of couples counseling as well and does family counseling also and deals with a lot of these issues that uh, happen after. So this is not what you do when you find out that your partner or your husband or your wife has cheated on you, this is after you've decided to stay because that can be one of the biggest shames today after, um, you know, when, when your friends or your family realize that you're staying with the person who has cheated on you. So Mark Smith is here on the line to talk about this with me this evening. Good evening, Mark. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. So, Thank you. This is the new shame, really. This is it, 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 it used to be that when somebody cheated, it was like, see you later, hang the banner on the front door, cheater, tell everybody, you know, send bat- nasty texts and pictures. And now it's like, hey, maybe we can work this out. And it, it, it's a, probably a very small percentage of people who can actually successfully navigate this. But there are certain things people can do. Um, to reconnect after the extramarital affair. So what are some of the things that you suggest to couples in your practice facing this uh, ultimate betrayal, this incredible betrayal and heartbreak? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that for any couple, this 
uh, presents as an incredible emotional shockwave. And um, both spouses have to work hard to get their bearings and get their grounding again, because um, while for some people they've got a sense that something's going on and it isn't a total surprise for others, it's a blind side. And, um, you know, it can be difficult to get that clear thinking happening so you can take a step back evaluate what this is saying about you, about the relationship, about the future, and then begin to think clearly about, you know, where do we go from here? And um, not uncommon to a divorce, you know, when, when friends and family find out that somebody's been less than faithful, they often take sides quite quickly. And um, like you say, people will say, kick the bum out or get rid of her or whatever it might be. But the couple um, that has decided, they've gone through all of that, and they've decided to stay together. Maybe they were wise, and they didn't actually share it with all of their relatives and friends. And so, because that actually brings another layer um, that can be very toxic to the relationship. But how important is it for the cheater, if you will, to atone for their, quote-unquote, sins, if you will? Yeah. You know, I think that um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, there's a certain percentage of people that just right off the bat, own up and take responsibility. And I think that that's, that's got to be the first the starting point. And the, the, um, the relationship, the affair... Now, just wanna, I want to ask you something. I want to be clear, because I get a lot of guys coming into my practice, and they yeah. are like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been in a sexless marriage for two years. I went to the company right. party. I had, you know, I went outside of my marriage, you know, the one night. There's a new employee, whatever. And, you know, should I... They've come there to ask me one question. Should I tell my wife? Because they want to offload it. So when we say to atone for their, their behavior, uh, it's, is it always that one must... Because I feel that when somebody, you know, cheats or goes outside of the relationship and then wants to tell their partner, they, they're doing that for themselves. They're actually going to, you know, deliver a, a, a bomb to their partner, mm-hmm. even if they've been in a sexless marriage. So do we always tell? Well, I think that like a lot of things in relationships, there are no absolute black and white uh, rules. Um, I think that the the danger in part is that um, any sort of infidelity is going to create um, an emotional barrier because uh, that person is usually then trying to cover up um, their actions. They may pull back emotionally and or they may be doing damage control because somebody at the party might have noticed that they had had a bit too much to drink or were paying a bit too much attention to somebody um, so now the, their partner picks up on that strange energy. They can't necessarily put their finger on it. Um, that said, it may be a red flag to that person who had that one night uh, moment where they um, um, betrayed the relationship and connect with somebody else. And, you know, it's a red flag for them to look at what's going on and for themselves as, what's, as well as what's going on in their marriage or right. their relationship. Right, but it's um, important that however uh, the other person finds out that that atonement is is critical. Would you would you agree with well, that? I, I, certainly, at the point where it's 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 become known, I think that it's you know I think uh, rule number one would be own it, take responsibility, um, and begin to start that repair process. Um, there are certainly I've had lots of clients where um, the 
the uh, infidelities or what the relationship has gone on for some time, and they're reluctant to let go of it. But if there's any uh-huh. appearance that that relationship is still going on, the repair process can't really begin. So That's um, a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and of course, you know, it, it becomes so acute that all it takes is that person to be running 10 minutes late to get home. Yes. And that partner that's at home, you know, they're fantasizing that that person, you know, they must be out with that person they're having the affair with. So the, a lot of the, the damage happens in just the fantasies that get created around the affair still that's going on in that that sort of thing. Exactly, and that trust is broken. Oftentimes, people have an affair, you know, we think it's because of, and it often is, you know, if in particular the patients that I see or the clients that I see, they're in a sexless relationship for a protracted period of time. But what I hear from my patients or clients is that it's not, it is in fact about the fact that they've been in a sexless relationship, they haven't been touched, they haven't been intimate, they feel um, you know, they feel isolated, they feel lonely, they feel down. And when they are with the other person, um, the, it's, it's energizing. They, they become alive. They feel that they are the person that is buried deep within, has finally come out or has come out again. They're yeah. lively. They, they feel good about themselves. They, it builds their confidence. They feel sexy. And so it's yeah. not necessarily about, I mean, although it likely is what's going on at home or not, uh, it's really the, about the person. That extramarital affair is makes that person feel good. Yeah, I would agree. I think that it um, rekindles that erotic sense inside of a person, that sense that they are attractive, they can be attractive, they can be desired. Um, and if they're in a, in a relationship that's either been sexless for an extended period of time or that emotional connection has been... Um, you know, very distant or, or disconnected in some way, that all it takes is that little bit of interest from somebody and it sparks that sense of self that's been lost or kind of gone underground in a marriage. And that's that's all it takes to get somebody looking in a different direction. Absolutely. And so it's not right. necessarily about what's wrong in the relationship. Sometimes it's really, it's can be described as, you know, somebody who doesn't feel that great about themselves. And this gives them a boost. Right. I had a client who said he'd been in a sexless marriage for two or three years and, and he went to work and somebody said to him, uh, you know, hey, how are you? And and that is how vulnerable he is. He said, you know, next thing you know, he was in bed with her. <laughs> Wasn't that fast, but it was that somebody actually paid attention to him. He had four children. His, his He and his wife had really disconnected emotionally. She paid mm-hmm. all of her attention to the children. Um, right. They had hadn't really, you know, they'd lost the power balance or it had shifted far too much in the relationship. And so he just felt invisible is Mm -hmm. what he said. And when he um, was, you know, in this relationship with this woman outside, he didn't want to leave his marriage. He didn't want to continue the affair. It was a five, it was actually five times. So I'm not even sure I would quantify this as an affair. Um, He had sex with a woman five times. Um, And and it's oftentimes about the sex because often when men are stressed or lonely or feeling invisible or they, and not to say that it's only men cheat and that's, you know, woe is them. I'm not saying that, but um, they have a harder time expressing their feelings as well. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, It's Maureen McGrath and we are talking after, after you've decided to stay with your partner, husband, wife, who has cheated. So after the after affair, whatever. Anyway, and Mark Smith joins me on the line. He is a social worker, family therapist, divorce coach, and a parenting coordinator in Vancouver. 
British Columbia. Uh, thanks for so much for staying with me. Sure. So we've, we agree on atonement, a, a real genuine apology, feeling badly. And typically yeah. people do feel badly. Nobody wants to hurt anybody else. It, it's yeah. human nature. But the next step, um, what do partners need to do um, to move forward? You mentioned one thing, that the affair needs to end. And sometimes people think they can have their cake and eat it too. So once they've yep. decided that they realize, okay, the affair has to end, I can't stay with that excitement, that mystery, that newness, that, you know, no mortgage, no finances, no kids, no, no problems to discuss. I've got to give all that up. Um, what do partners do to make each other, um, uh, you know, to, to help to reestablish what they want in the relationship and in one another? Well, I, <clears throat> whenever I've had couples that are in this situation, you know, basically I say, you know, the, um, you can't go much lower than this. So now let's get everything on the table and talk about it. What has been going on in the relationship um, hasn't been working, probably haven't been talking about it. But now um, you can't avoid talking about what has not been working in the relationship and look toward what you're going to do differently now because you want to now kind of co-create. If, if you want to look at the dynamics of what, what um, creates an affair, people generally co-create that knowingly or unknowingly. But now they can consciously create um, the next stage in their relationship, the next level of intimacy, and they can be very intentional about how they're going to do that. And they've got nothing to lose because everything's on the table. And often people in a marriage, in a relationship, go for harmony. They don't want to talk about the tough stuff, um, but at some point it's going to creep in and create this sort of an, an event. Again, it's going to happen again. I, I, as I said, I see mostly patients who have gone outside of their marriage as a result of a sexless marriage, whether it's a, a yeah. male or you know a woman in the relationship, man. Um, because, the, but what are some of the most common things that you see in your practice um, that has been the cause of an extramarital affair or has contributed to? Well, I think that um, as you alluded to in terms of a sexless, sexless marriage or whether it's been a lack of intimacy or connection, is that it's a right for somebody else to come along and just show a little bit of interest and then, um, and then that person will latch on pretty quick. But I think also um, uh, life for the modern couple family is very busy and, and full of stress and there's not much room or time for the relationship for, um, you know, not only sex or intimacy, but affection or just having fun or just having individual time for the, for the couple. I often hear couples, you know, they've got an hour in the evening after they've put kids to bed and done chores, you know, to have a little bit of time for themselves. And so um, um, what's that old saying? You know, you've kind of given your best to your workplace or to everybody else, and now you, you give the rest to your partner. And so making a, uh, making that a priority is really important, especially after an affair. That's right. And, and oftentimes, you know, you, we can get into the mundane and the routine and the rote and the, the yep. issues and the problems and the check writing or, you know, bill paying and whatever, the roof yep. leaks and then, the you know, the sink gets plugged and the whole nine yards. And, you know, so cheaters aren't necessarily looking for someone else. And they often don't want to leave their marriage. But they, they're looking to become someone else or, or they're looking to become who they uh, thought 
yeah. they should have become exactly. when especially when they're with their affair partner they feel like they can be that person they can be funny maybe their partner at home their wife or husband doesn't appreciate their sense of humor so they can be funny they can be light they can be mm-hmm. sexual they can be you know have fun or ex- be more explorative um, if they have certain desires um, that they want to explore that their spouse isn't comfortable with or or whatever or their spouse may sure. have a painful sex for example and, and not realize that there's treatment for that or mm-hmm. or shut the door I was speaking to somebody you know all the time people no matter where I am people will tell me their personal issues and and I was speaking to somebody um, you know from a laser company at this conference I was at this weekend and and he was just saying that every time he tries to bring it up that that his wife should be treated for her GSM or vet which is vaginal dryness and painful sex and recurrent urinary tract infections she just puts her hand up and just says no don't talk about it I am done you know like the the vagina you were looking for is out of service you know and she won't even discuss it and that's another issue as well and so they might feel you know that they're they're invisible really mm-hmm. well and i think that often at the beginning of a relationship even that marriage it might, might have been 10 years prior but that energy was there and so the challenge is how to rekindle it especially after there's been a loss of trust and um um so that you know that's going to be a slower process and there's going to need to be a lot of patience and tolerance for um, the relationship to build itself up to a place where, um, you know, touch or affection or intimacy can happen again. Um, yeah, but no, I, mm-hmm. it's not easy to regain trust and no, have I, that unconditional positive regard for one another either. You yeah, know, that can be yeah. very difficult and, and antagonizing. Uh, people can be antagonistic toward their partner because those feelings can eke out at any point, you know, especially if they're tired, lonely, hungry, mm-hmm, angry, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to lose it. Well, and I think that if um, if uh, the, uh, the person who was aggrieved is able to let go of needing to know the sordid details of the affair, you know, where did they have sex or what did they do? Or what did they do that we don't do or all those kind of questions, but instead switch to more of an investigative uh, line of questioning, like, you know, what did this affair to mean to you? What was so important about it f- for you? What, what did you experience there that you don't experience in our relationship? How can we get there? Um, because sometimes it is, like you said earlier, a crisis for the individual because they've lost that sense of their um, dynamic or sexual self. Um, um, They don't feel like they're that desirable anymore. And now here they've met somebody that thinks they're desirable and that, you know, that stirs up all those old feelings. Right. Often all Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, if if, if they can get off, I mean, I think there is a grieving process. So some of those... um, um, hard conversations need to happen, but I think it's important not to stay stuck there and begin to take a look at how did we get here and how could we go from here to a better place. Right, and a lot of people will go on the internet because we live our, our lives on the internet uh, today, yeah. but that can be filled with toxic people who are you yes. know, gleeful when your relationship ends or whatever, and it can get you, mm-hmm. you know, with negative self-talk. What do you think about people going to the internet? to, um, you know, get, get support from these chat groups or Facebook groups? <laughs> well, you know, my experience, whether it's a health-related forum or relationship-related, generally people are there who have had the most trouble with whatever the problem is um, or who have um, more, you know, um, they have more negative things to say rather than sort of productive, positive, you know, where do we go from here kind of comments. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, I think people have to just be wary of those kind of groups to make sure that it isn't just a place to go and gripe, but it's a place to go to say, well, what did you do? How did you get to a better place in your relationship after an affair? And if it can be supportive in that way, great. But if it's a place just to kind of um, um, get get drawn into the negative aspect, I'd say it's going to be less helpful, just like it's, if it's a friend or family member. Absolutely. Mark Smith, yeah. family therapist, divorce coach, parenting coordinator. Thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? Um, go, they can go to my website, marksmithcounseling.com, um, or my Twitter account, at one, at one Mark Smith. Um, Wonderful. And, or, or just Google me, Mark Smith Counseling. Yep. Sure. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on the program tonight. Talking you, about Maureen. a very top subject. You're welcome. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.